It may or may not surprise you to know that I've never really been much of a gardener. I enjoy being out and about, especially uh, in good weather, but my efforts to help things grow aren't always very fruitful. I once actually worked as a cemetery gardener in my gap year between school and college, but I got so freaked out by my fellow workers and by some of the gruesome stories that they told that I ended up leaving after just a couple of weeks to take a very boring job as a filing clerk and check writer with the government, which I subsequently regretted, especially when the good weather came. Then just after we arrived in Canada, our landlord made the mistake of asking me to take care of his garden during his family's absence on sabbatical. But I'm afraid that the rapid growth of grass and other vegetation in BC soon got the better of me and I had a major problem distinguishing the plants from the weeds in the flower beds. So I probably ended up almost literally throwing out the wheat with the chaff in my efforts to try to keep things tidy. Uh, After hearing this, the trustees may be glad that gardening is not part of my job description here. All of which makes it easier for me to sympathise with aspects of the farmer's story in the parable of the sower from our reading this morning. I don't think that I've ever been in a situation of getting a 30, 60, never mind 100-fold return on my gardening. But it's often felt like my plants have withered because they weren't properly rooted. Yet our reading from Matthew chapter 13 isn't just intended to tell us a story about farming, of course. Like all Jesus' parables, it has much deeper significance, especially to our spiritual lives. For as Jesus outlines four results of planting seed agriculturally, he's actually portraying, he's exploring different ways in which people can and do respond to God's word depending on where we are spiritually. Sometimes, Jesus says, we can be open to attack. Sometimes we can be shallow in our understanding or our commitment. Sometimes we can be sidetracked or overcome by the pressures of other concerns. It's only really when we're fully grounded and solid in our faith that we will lead successful Christian lives that bring the kind of fruitful results for which God is ultimately looking. Jesus often leaves us to work out parables for ourselves. You've probably noticed that. And there's a reason for it as he makes clear in verses 11 through 17. When the disciples ask him, why do you speak to the people in parables? 
he quotes a rather mysterious passage from Isaiah 6 which centers on spiritual hardness of heart. People can be ever hearing but never understanding according to that text and ever seeing but never perceiving because their hearts have become calloused. Jesus also tells how the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to his followers but not to others. But I don't think he deliberately intends to make his teachings inaccessible to anyone. His point is rather to invite people to pursue his truth more actively, really to dig in to what he teaches. The bottom line is that the parables aren't always easy to interpret and there's no magic key to unlocking their meaning. They're designed to make us think. And however many times we may have heard or or read them, there are always fresh ways of looking at them and there can be new truths to discover in them. That's the nature of any good story, if you think about it. It's not a mathematical equation. It's not a logical argument. It's not a page even from a history textbook. It gives us a slice of life, mostly an imaginary slice of life, and we're invited to enter into the narrative to discover what we can learn from it. In that sense, the parable of the sower is actually quite a rarity, because Jesus does spell out its significance in some detail in verses 18 through 23. But even though that gives us a very reliable framework of interpretation in this case, we can always learn more as we probe the text for ourselves. There's an old story about two kids who were struggling with the problem of the existence of the devil. One said, there isn't any devil. But the other got rather upset. What do you mean, he said, there isn't any devil. He talks about him all the way through the Bible. To which the first simply replied, but it's not true. It's just like Santa Claus, the devil turns out to be your dad. (laughs) Belief in the powers of darkness is often held to be an outdated superstition nowadays in our general culture, even in some parts of the church. But the Bible is clear that they're very present realities in our world and we don't escape their influence once we come to Christ, especially if we leave ourselves vulnerable or susceptible to attack. Jesus is with a large crowd by the Sea of Galilee when he begins to tell the parable of the sower. So many have come to see him that he gets out into a boat to address them while they remain on the shore and he doesn't waste any time getting into his story. A farmer went out to sow his seed, Jesus says, in verses 3 and 4. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. We learn from verse 19 that the seed is intended 
to represent God's word or the message about the kingdom. And what is the spiritual parallel to what happens to the seed sown along the path? It's anyone who hears about the message of the kingdom, Jesus says, and does not understand it. Because when that happens, the evil one, or Satan, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. We may have been in this kind of situation ourselves. Perhaps we've known people who've heard the gospel and seemed to respond, but they haven't really understood it. And their lack of understanding has made them so vulnerable that then when they've been challenged or threatened by fresh ideas or temptations, they've apparently just fallen away. We may have experienced something similar in our own lives. It can be one thing to hear the truth of God's word and quite another to understand it, to take it to heart. But when we don't, we become susceptible to being misled. And unless we fully understand biblical standards of doctrine or behaviour, we will tend to be more open to compromise them. That's why it's so important for us to be informed, to be intelligent in our faith, and not to leave ourselves vulnerable to attack in the first place. Because we can be sure that the devil will try to exploit our weaknesses. Dale Hayes tells how a pastor from Haiti once offered his own parable on this theme. A man wanted to sell his house and another was very keen to buy it. But because he was poor, he simply couldn't afford it. Eventually, after much bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the property for half the original price with just one stipulation. He would retain ownership of a small nail protruding from just above the front door. After several years, the original seller wanted the house back, but the new occupant was unwilling to sell. So the first guy took action. He went out, found the carcass of a dead animal, and hung it from that single nail that he still owned. As a result, the house soon became uninhabitable, and the family was forced to sell it, to the owner of the nail. The Haitian pastor's conclusion was rather dramatic. If we leave the devil with even one small peg in our life, he said, he will return to hang his rotting garbage on it, making it unfit for Christ's habitation. But that's not far from the mark, is it? Because as the parable of the sower warns us very clearly, the evil one is always looking for fresh opportunities to come and snatch away the truth that is sown in our hearts. So we need to be protected. The founder of CNN, the TV mogul Ted Turner, was once given an award by the American Humanist Association for his work on behalf of the environment and world peace. But at a celebration banquet 
in Orlando, he criticized fundamentalist Christianity, as he called it, arguing that Jesus probably would be sick at his stomach over the way his ideas had allegedly been twisted. The interesting thing was that Turner also confessed that he himself had had a strict Christian upbringing. At one time he even considered becoming a missionary. I was saved seven or eight times, the Atlanta Constitution newspaper quoted him saying. What seems to have really disenchanted Turner was when his sister died despite his prayers that she wouldn't. And we've probably all come across people who've made a similar journey, haven't we? Perhaps we've travelled it a bit ourselves at some point in our lives. I know I have. As a child and and then a teenager, I can remember making any number of professions of faith only to continue my life pretty much as before until a fully decisive point of conversion in my late twenties. And of course, the real test of anyone's faith is when trouble or adversity comes, as it does in our parable. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, Jesus says in verses 5 and 6. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. And what's the spiritual parallel to this planting situation? Jesus tells us in verses 20 and 21. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the one who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, Jesus says. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the world he quickly falls away. He quickly falls away. In today's North American society, it's not always easy to be open or upfront about our faith, especially at school or at work, where the environment can be quite hostile to Christianity, depending on where we are. Very few may be actively persecuted for their beliefs in modern day Canada and we can thank God for that but we can all face situations where what we believe can cause us embarrassment or make us unpopular so what's the answer? we should do everything we can to avoid being shallow in our commitment or understanding Jesus says We should be firmly rooted so that we last through thick and thin and we're able to cope with the consequences of living out what we truly believe. Some years ago, when I worked in a church in North Delta, we did an evangelistic program called Power to Change. Some of you may remember that yourselves. It involved going door to door in our local neighbourhood and asking people about their attitudes to church. I'd never done anything 
quite like that before and I must confess that the results were pretty revealing. A few people were quite hostile to us, even offensive, but others took the time to talk. And in the course of our conversations, we came across a number of folks who had once been quite active in their faith, but were so no longer. And do you know what two of the key factors were? I would call them sheer family busyness, and a preoccupation with other interests. And kids' sports figured quite highly on the list. On another occasion, I remember talking to an old minister in Richmond about why so few people, who would normally call themselves Christians, bothered to turn up in church on Sundays. His reply was very simple. As we stood outside the church on a glorious sunny day. Just look around you, he said, gazing at the mountains. This is lotus land. There's so much else to do. There's so much else to do. And there is always so much else to do, isn't there? Especially when we're in the most productive years of our lives, people can so easily be sidetracked by other concerns like those in the parable of the sower who are represented by Jesus' third planting situation. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants, he continues in verse 7. And what's the spiritual comparison? The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns, Jesus says in verse 22, is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. There's a phrase that covers a multitude of sins, if there ever was one. But we can all struggle with these issues, can't we? When was the last time that you were in town but chose another activity over going to church on a Sunday morning? How often have you become so preoccupied with anxieties about the everyday realities of your life, like family or career concerns, that you found yourself not only losing sleep, but lacking momentum in your devotional life. The simple fact is that even when we're responsive to God's word and direction in our lives, we can't really follow either if our minds are consumed with other things. So our parable can challenge us all to go back to basics whenever we find anxiety or greed getting in our way. And when we really focus on the essentials, of course, this can be a marvellous way of moving towards the last and only really positive picture that Jesus gives in the parable of the sower. That of those who are successful or fruitful in their faith. In a blog post, Mark Ellis told the story of the medical missionary, Dr. William Leslie who went to live and minister to tribal people in a remote corner 
of the Democratic Republic of the Congo back in 1912. After 17 years, he apparently returned to the US a discouraged man because he believed that he had failed to make an impact for Christ. And he died nine years after his return. But in 2010, nearly 100 years later, a team led by Eric Ramsey with Tom Cox World Ministries made a surprising and wonderful discovery. In the dense jungle, across the Quilu River from Vanga, where Dr. Leslie was stationed, they found a network of reproducing churches hidden, he wrote, like glittering diamonds. Based on his previous research, Amsey thought the Yancey in this remote area might have had some exposure to Christianity, but no real understanding of Christ. But they were in for a remarkable find. When we got in there, Ramsey reported, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Each village had its own gospel choir, although they wouldn't call it that. They wrote their own songs and would have sing-offs from village to village. Ramsey and his team actually found a church in each of the eight villages they visited scattered over 34 miles. They also discovered a 1,000 seat stone cathedral that often got so crowded in the 1980s that with many walking miles to attend that a church planting movement began in the surrounding villages. Ramsey subsequently learned that Dr. Leslie had travelled throughout this remote region more than 90 years earlier. And what had he been doing? Teaching the Bible, promoting literacy, sowing the seed of the gospel. He also started the first organised educational system in the villages. For 17 years then, Leslie had fought tropical illnesses, charging buffaloes, armies of ants, and leopard-infested jungles to bring the gospel into a remote area. He died feeling like he'd failed. He felt he was a complete failure. But instead, his faithfulness and courage left a powerful legacy of vital churches. And while few may be called to missionary work overseas, the parable of the sower reminds us that God expects similar qualities of dedication in our everyday Christian lives. Still other seed fell on good soil, Jesus says in verse 8, where it reproduced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And his explanation is very clear. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it. He says in verse 23, he produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. That's the goal 
for all his followers, Jesus says, that we be productive, that we be fruitful disciples. And how do we become that? By hearing God's word, by by understanding it, and by taking it deep to heart. Now, there are, of course, different ways of applying the message of the parable of the sower. If we see it as only about evangelism, as some in the church have done, and about how people initially respond to the gospel, most of us will tend to cast ourselves in the fruitful category. After all, we're among those who have clearly heard God's word and who have responded to the point where we're now actively involved in the church. But if we understand the parable as referring to the process of discipleship as a whole, we're likely to come to different conclusions. For there are surely times in all of our Christian lives when we may hear God speaking to us, but not follow through. How often do we leave our lives open to attack? How many times do we fall away from God's best for us because trouble or opposition come? How often do we allow ourselves to become so caught up in worry or greed or ambition that they kind of choke us off and prevent us from being all that we can be? If we're honest, I think, we probably have to admit that we all go through times like that when we simply don't bear the fruit in terms of wholehearted service and outreach that God asks of us. In that sense, the parable of the sower can continue to challenge us even when we know that the big issue has already been decided because we have come to faith. So this morning I want to suggest it as a helpful spiritual reality check for us all, including myself. Are we being the kind of fruitful disciples that Jesus has always sought? Are we, what are we doing to ensure that we continue not only to hear God's word, but to understand it and then act upon it? Because when we remember what Christ has done for us, how he lived and ministered and died and rose again for our sake, how he gave his life on the cross of Calvary to save us. There is surely nothing too good to offer him in return. Let's bow our heads. Loving God, we thank you for these parables, these wonderful stories that tell us more about you and your purposes for our lives. So simple, Lord, and yet they invite us into your truth in a fresh way every time we look at them. And this parable of the soul, Lord, can speak to us so readily about how we respond to your word. And when we think about that, 
we surely all have to acknowledge that there are times when we are not as fruitful as you call us to be. So Lord, we ask that you would help us as individuals and as a community to hear your word more clearly, to understand it more deeply and to follow it more nearly. Follow Jesus more nearly in our lives, in our ministries, in this church and in our outreach to those around us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, by your Spirit. Amen. Our closing hymn is number nine. Hymn number nine, and the words will be behind me too. I sing the mighty power of God. <laughs>